Kaya FM podcast. I am worldly. Kaya FM 95.9. A very good evening to you and welcome to the Law Report. My name is Michael Matuning Bill. It's good to be with you this Wednesday evening where once again we're talking about an issue of law. And before I tell you what we're talking about, special thanks to Mapaseka Mukuli. She's back with you again tomorrow. And you can look forward to yet another show um, with her, as you always do, from Monday to Thursday. Our topic tonight, I'm very excited about it because it affects pretty much anybody who's interested in business, anybody who works for a business. I I, I would dare say it it affects literally everybody because it's franchising. And whether you buy into a franchise or whether you want to be the franchisor, this is a show that affects you. But also, you work for a franchise. What are the laws? Where, where, Where is this all regulated? And that's what we're talking about tonight. And helping me to understand some of these concepts are my guest, uh, Hugh Melandowitz, who's a partner at Spur and Fisher. Um, Hugh, good evening to you and welcome to The Law Report. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. And uh, also, I'll be joined um, on the line by two other guests. And as soon as I have them on the line, I'll introduce them. So... As always, you know what to do. The number to dial 86 If you have any questions for my guest, um, any questions relating to franchise, and this is a big one. If, you, if I tell you the stats around how big this industry is, we literally about something like 17% of our GDP comes from franchises. I mean, that's staggering. But if you consider that it, it looks like when we think franchise, we're thinking about some uh, food outlet, small outlet, but it's a big industry. It accounts for something like 728 billion rands. That's huge uh, by all accounts. Um, so so that's, that's our show tonight. And, and, I, and I really think that if one looks at the success rates, the failure rates, it is something to, to consider. And, and, and it is something for you to want to at least think about. Because I think um, if you look at the stats of a franchise uh, versus stats of a new business without a name, you, the, the difference is, 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 is somewhat interesting and, and we'll be touching into those. As always, give us a call. 86 0059. You can also tweet me. I'm at Matoning Bill. That's my Twitter handle. Um, joining me also, a PR from FASA, um, uh, is Julie Oso. Julie, good evening to you and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Hello, Julie. Hi, can you hear me? Okay, I can't Hello? seem to hear you. I'm not sure. So we'll, we'll check, we'll check around. If, Eddie G, if Eddie G can hear you. There we go. I think can much you, better. There we go. Wonderful. Magic. Julie, hello. Hi. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining us. And, you know, I just, I just quoted some of these stats that I read from, from, from some of the publications that you, you guys have, 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 um, have written about. And, and quite an interesting industry. But, you know, just so that we don't take for granted um, that everybody knows what a franchise is. Can, I, can, can we start and, 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 and with you, Hugh, and, and, and get us to understand what is a franchise and what makes a franchise different from any other business? Sure, okay. A franchise generally comes about when you're dealing with an existing business that uh, should be successful and uh, operating under a particular business system and uh, under a particular brand. Mm. And what the owner of the business decides to do is to license um, other businesses to conduct or other people to conduct that business um, under that particular system and under, under that particular brand. And obviously there's a fee payable for that license, um, but the benefit around it is that you are in, in, in getting involved in the franchise system as a franchisee, you're getting involved in an existing business, theoretically with an exist, a successful business system that has and does generate profits. Um, and a well-known brand that uh, should attract the custom. So you're really getting a jump start, kickstart mm. into, into an industry. Um, you don't need to develop, the, develop your particular brand. An interesting statistic that I read, seeing as how we're starting with statistics, <laughs> is that a new business, um, the statistics of a new business, um, 90% of them fell within the first year, um, as opposed to franchises where the failure rate is, uh, um, I think in the region, Judy, you may be able to correct me, but I think it's about 45%. Um, but which is quite remarkable. So the the uh, idea is that you stand a far greater chance of, of running a successful business when you get involved in the in the franchise operation. Because as I said, you're getting a jump start into that particular industry. It, it's it's quite a big industry, and, and 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 I must confess, much to to my surprise, Julie. Maybe just give us an indication of who Fasa is and and what you guys do in relation to franchises. Well, um, Fasa is. Quite a, it's quite a, a phenomenal uh, setup because it, it happened 40 years ago. Um, franchising first came to South Africa probably in the mid-60s 
when one or two people had gone over to the States, had seen the sort of hamburger thing and had come back and started um, amongst them the, uh, the original steers and, and so on. And in 1979, a few of those who had started franchising businesses got together and they said, look, if we want to do it, we must do it the correct way. And of course, by then, you know, America was leading the field um, and they had all the systems set up. So they decided they would form an association to make sure that whoever was going into this very exciting business was going to do it ethically and the right way. And as Hugh probably will tell you, you know, there's a lot of contracts involved, IP. So the association from those early days set the tone for what franchising has become today. And in fact, today, for a sits on the World Franchise Council as a very member. If you've just joined us, we're talking franchises, and this is literally one of those shows where we'll be giving you the disadvantages of, of having a franchise or entering into a franchise and the advantages, some of the success stories and some of the not-so-successful stories. And, 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 and I have a surprise guest for you that I, I will introduce um, uh, at the right time. But this is also a show where we've lined up a series of experts to help you understand and to help deal with some of the questions that you might have. So give, do give us a call, 86 And one of these other experts is Grant Seaton-Smith, who's an attorney. Grant, good evening to you, and thank you for talking to us. Good evening. Are you well? I'm very good, thank you. You know, sometimes when we talk about franchises, we always, we always look at it as, as something that is, is out there, something that you, know, you can only engage as a franchisee. One of the things that we don't comprehend, if I'm running a business and it's a successful business, is how do I then become the franchisor? In other words, how, what makes a franchisor a franchisor different from somebody who has a chain of stores? Uh, are we talking about a franchisor and 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 a concept that is franchisable? That's right. So I think I think I think the essence of my question is: in when does my concept or my business become franchisable? Well, I think that, you know, as an entrepreneur, you start, you're a startup, you, you come up with a concept, uh, you enter into the marketplace, it's successful. Uh, and I think one of the most important things about uh, a franchisable concept is that it is scalable. Mm -hmm. So it isn't so complex that the barrier to entry is uh, prohibitive. So it's something that is relatively easy to multiply, to scale. Uh, it's relatively easy to uh, put it in, in a box, so to speak. So we can quantify the business uh, in many respects. So the business model, the financial model, the capital expenditure involved, uh, the operation of the business is, is, is fairly uh, uh, limited in terms of it's complexity, and when you've got something like that, you know, they, often people refer to the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. So I, I always go back to that when it comes to franchising. If you want to franchise your concept, it has to be something simple, scalable, and that the ordinary guy can get involved in and, and plug into it and learn very quickly how to be successful following your business model. My hope for the show is to ultimately get you as, 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 as somebody listening to the show, get you to a point where you have a, a, a good and fair understanding of how the franchise system works, what are the advantages and what are the disadvantages. And I have a guest who's agreed to talk to us about her experience at Trudy McKay, and she is the current CEO of McKay Communications, and she bought into a franchise store. Uh, Trudy, uh, good evening to you, and thank you so much for talking to us and sharing your story. Good evening, and thank you for having me. I, you know, when when I read your story, I, I thought it's one of those stories that that needs to be to be shared. And maybe just take us through your experience, the franchise that you bought into, and and what happened. Okay, so I think um, so. Um, of course, after being formally employed for fifteen years, um, you know, you've got all this uh, pension money and and monies that you've put away, and you know, what is it that you're going to do? to make sure this money grows. Mm. And um, and then there's this buzz about this franchise, this franchise world, and, and you know, you could possibly be a business owner and it's exciting. And um, I think what then happened, we, we, we then went um, into a, a franchise, but it was a going concern. Mm. And I think um, as much as we did uh, the due diligence as far as we knew how, mm -hmm. 
I don't think that it was thorough. Mm-hmm. It wasn't long term in, in terms of looking at, you know, how. So what kind of business was it? It was a restaurant. Right. Yeah. It was in the food industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very popular. It's one of those franchises that's, that's, that's owned mainly by blacks, mm. uh, by black people, my people. Mm. Um, and, and, and I can honestly say to you that I just don't think that, that, that as black people, we, we, we become really excited and, and we're not doing the, the, the real due diligence to make sure that beyond today and tomorrow, six months, a year. But, but, but let's talk about, you know, so you're, you're, you're buying into this business um, and, 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 and I get that now you have the benefit of hindsight, but mm-hmm. take us through the moment of you buying into the business, what, what was presented to you and, 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 okay. and, and versus so what the reality what the turned reality out to was, be. Yeah. So, you, of course, you buy into this business and you are told about, you know, how, how, how much money you are able to, to make. Yeah. Um, you know, that it'll, it'll sustain you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I come from a corporate environment and so I, I understand the principle of, 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 of getting paid, if it makes sense. Right. So, so I don't want to go into an environment where I'm not going to get paid. So I'm understanding that I'm going to get paid and I'm going to employ people, I'm going to empower people, everyone will get paid and we're going to be okay for the next, um, however, I, I, I can't really remember, you know, whether they gave us a time frame to say you're going to be okay for so long. Mm. But that was my understanding, certainly, you know, that, that we now have this business that's going to sustain us, um, you know, for X amount, for, for however long we are in this business. Sure. Um, and, and of course, we, we, we look at the books. I have an amazing accountant who, who have been with my entire life. Mm. And he's, he did the due diligence, you know, like I said, as best as we knew how, mm. as new people in this industry. And um, it looked okay, you know, it looked like they're making money. Um, it looked like uh, the, the operational costs were okay or right. affordable. And, but and what did you pay for? Uh, how much did you pay and what were you paying for? So 600,000 mm-hmm. um, for the franchise. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's the, it, um, it's the, it's the uh, what do you call it? The operational costs that were really killing us. Right. The rent was insane, 100,000 in a month. Mm-hmm. Um, you know stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the the the. In, I mean, now I now run a, a restaurant, as you know, as mm-hmm. well. That that is doing fairly well. Of and course, that's not a franchise. That's not. We're getting a lot of requests, but I am so skeptical based right. on what I've gone through because I don't want to take anybody six hundred thousand and promise them things that I cannot deliver on. And and I think I think it's the right time to be talking to you, um, wouldn't you say, Hugh? Because I mean, this is where a lot of businesses find themselves, where you're almost ready to. Um, be the franchisor, and and we'll get into that. But one of the one of the things that struck me as 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 Trudy was sharing a story is when you first buy, and it seems as if she's promised stuff, and 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 it. it I know as an investor, you, you no promise can be good. So I'm trying to understand that promise in relation to typical franchise agreements. Okay, so the the typical franchise agreement has changed over the years. The um FASA, the Franchise Association, had a uh, um, code of conduct that it expected uh, its members to follow, and the structure of its agreements has pretty much been, or the structure of its code of conduct has pretty much been taken over by the Consumer Protection Act. Mm. It sets out certain minimum requirements that a franchise agreement must have. Um, one, probably well, one of the more important ones um, is a cooling-off period. So it deals with uh, what happened with Trudy, that excitement, you get sold this uh, concept that... Uh, seems too good to be true you sign on the dotted line without doing a, a proper due diligence and then it's a case of okay well what have i done mm. uh, and the panic sets in um the consumer protection act allows a cooling off period um so but i mean the consumer protection act as far as i know wouldn't apply in respect of a juristic person so if you're buying into a franchise as a company no, it does it, it does the the was uh, that, that two hundred and fifty thousand well, threshold no franchisees are a, a, a is a consumer in terms of the consumer right. protection act specifically right oh um, yes so, one of the exclusions so the, the 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 consumer protection act has been specifically drafted to protect the the franchisees and as i say the the, the two another critical thing that it requires is a disclosure document which sets out a summary of the uh, of the agreement that you're entering into, and then also the basic uh, business requirements. Um, you've got to set out um, who the fr- who the franchisees are, um, mm-hmm. the f- the new franchisees entitled to contact franchisees, find out how the business is run, if the franchisees are getting support, if they're happy with the with the franchisor. Um, financial projections are supposed to be given. Um, the if the franchisor is uh, making any um, uh, kickbacks on sales, that's supposed to be disclosed to the 
franchisee, et cetera, et cetera. So the, the franchisee is supposed to, in terms of the Consumer Protection Act, being give, be given as much information as it's possible to give who the shareholders of the business are, who the directors, um, organogram of the business, um, whether there's going to be ongoing training, who, when, how much the training is going to cost, who's going to be responsible, and a full breakdown of all costs and then possible income should be given to the, to the franchisee. Mm. But at the end of the day, the, the actual business is going to be run by the franchisee, and the franchisee um, uh, has, has to be able to, to run the business. I, I think the, the critical thing, particularly with, with new franchisees uh, getting involved in, in, the, in the industry, is training. Mm. And that's one of the things that uh, a franchisee must look at. What training am I going to be getting? Is there ongoing training? Where is it going to take place? At whose cost? And uh, uh, if I need support, am I going to be getting that support? And, and that, I think, forms part of the due diligence that the franchisee has to conduct. And I think it's very important to contact other, other franchisees in, the, in, the, in that particular uh, operation. And if I can just uh, bring you uh, back in, uh, Julie, um, if, you know, so um, Hugh has said quite a lot of things that one needs to, one needs to, 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 to be aware of. And, 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 and I'm just wondering, as FASA, where do you come in? Are you, are you focused more on the franchisee? And, and is there some kind of guidance or a holding hand that, that can be offered? Well, we are essentially um, a franchisor association, although we do have a lot of the franchisees as members. So mm-hmm. we do represent both. But we do make sure, our main task is to make sure that all franchisors adhere to the ethics consumer protection that they're doing, all those things that you mentioned. Mm, mm. Um, what we do and where we are, are working very hard to try and get, um, what we were, we were um, involved with the Consumer Protection Act in terms of submitting our code of ethics, our code of conduct, which was mostly, which was accepted. We're now um, proposing an ombudsman. Um, unfortunately, government has stalled a little bit, but um, it was gazetted. Um, so we believe that that is the way to go because the franchisees at the moment, if there is um, an issue with the franchisor, they can approach FASA. We do have mediation, but it only applies to members because we are we're not a statutory body. We're a mm. voluntary association. Mm. So, you know, we're very concerned about the fly-by-night franchisors who don't become members of FASA because there is such a stringent um, uh, sort of vetting process. You know, we need to see all the documents. We need to make sure they're doing things correctly. So a lot of them don't don't become members. And this is where we find a lot of franchisees who burn their fingers. And we really would like to see an ombudsman put in place so that we can help a lot more um, and that franchisees have a, a, somewhere to go with their you know, if they have been um, taken for a ride by a franchisor. I must say that the, the, the number of um, complaints and the mediation that we do um, is, is not excessive. So, you know, we, we believe that although there are so many cases out there and it's very easy for a franchisor to set up business, sell franchises, take deposits, but with the Consumer Protection Act, we've got a little bit more um, guarantees and our task as father is to go out to, we have shows, we have the franchise show, we, we do workshops where we prepare potential franchisees on what they must look for, how careful they must be, and also to be very realistic because we also are living in very hard times. And, you know, in 20 years ago, buying a franchise was, you know, printing money. It's yeah. no longer the case. You have to work. And, and there are franchises that are suffering, although... We have a a survey that we've just um, done, and generally speaking, our franchisees are very satisfied with their franchises. They would recommend it to other people to buy. So they they have a very high, something like 82% is is their their sort of percentage of satisfaction with their franchises. Well, that's actually an interesting stat, and 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 I'm going to want to talk to you some more about those stats, but you you wanted to make a point here. Yeah, one of the... One of the concerns I always have when clients come to the initial consultation, generally a franchisee looking to acquire a franchise, is uh, first of all, please don't plow your uh, life savings into the franchise. Um, (laughs) For me, it's probably the most scary situation that I'm faced with. 
Um, and then the second qu- sec- well, the question I then ask is whether the franchise operation that uh, they're getting involved in is a member of FASA. And my reason for that is, one, firstly, because of the, there is the, the code of ethics. And mm-hmm. uh, secondly, the, the, the dispute resolution process is uh, set up through FASA. Um, if you need to go through other dispute resolution processes, it does become a nightmare. You can choose to go through the uh, con- under the Consumer Protection Act, which uh, has its challenges. Um, it's not operating quite as smoothly as one would hope um, yet. It, it, uh, I think the, the Ombud is, is a great idea. Um, and the, the, the other route is to go through the courts, and, and both of them you get attorneys involved. It's expensive. Um, and uh, one thing that we need to bear in mind is that uh, the courts don't give justice, they give judgments. And uh, that's, that's the unfortunate reality. And uh, the, the, the one takes a, ch- a big chance in going to courts and it's an expensive and uh, dangerous uh, route to follow. Again, mm. something that I try and uh, encourage my clients not to do unless it's a last resort. Uh, Trudy, before I let you go, and, 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 and you've heard from, uh, from, from both uh, 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 Julie and, and Hugh some of the some of the sort of protection that is available and having having been a franchisee and bought into a franchise and it not having worked out for you what do you think went wrong is is it more of your own fault as from a, from a business uh, business decision making or is it more of a, of a of a failure from a legal point of view just give me that 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 sense so that as as even though you 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 may have left we able to to dissect some of some of your experiences so i think it's a bit of both mm. i think it was new territory yeah um, and I think that there, there was a lot that we didn't know and that we assumed. Yeah. So we assumed certain things, looking at projections, and you think that, like I said earlier on, you think yeah. you're going to be okay. Yeah. And then you realize when you're in the business that, you know, it, it actually it's not. It's projections. It's exactly that. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's not fact. Yeah. Uh, because it'll, it's dependent on a lot of things, the economy, et cetera, right? Um, and then I think from a support point, I, I, I just found that there was nowhere to go to. Um, um, you know, so so of course I, I don't even remember whether we 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 knew about FASA at the time or, or any of those but, bodies. But by support, you talk in training. Um, no, 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 training. So there was they a, provided a, yeah, training. Yeah, no, no, no. They did. Um, mm. They did. But I do think that they they let go too quickly, kind right. of thing. I think uh, so. Like I said, I'm in. Uh, 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 I own a restaurant right now, which which is getting a lot of franchise requests, and I'm deliberately saying no. And I'm saying to people that if you're really interested, let us partner, because I believe that you really, you know, like a baby, mm. sort of, you need to hold the hand until this baby is ready to really run, mm. not even walk on its own. And I think that's what was missing. Um, and and I think that we were not aware of a lot of. Um, the real costs those projections were what they were but we were not aware that you need to make this money to then be able to sustain the business and we were not well thank you so much for sharing your story um and and i'm and i'm very happy to hear that from having had a bad franchise experience you've moved on to start something Absolutely. of your own and potentially you could be a good franchise one so. day. thank you so, <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> that's trudy mckay uh, uh talking to us this evening thank, thank you so you. much thank you for having all right we're going to take a break and when we come back uh, we're going to continue my discussion with all three of my experts including grant smith as well as bringing a, another franchisee story and see how that has worked out. So we've given you a bad experience and hopefully um, Lydia Ramatisa is going to be sharing with us a good story. We're back after this. The Law Report with Michael Matwening Bell, Kaya FM 95.9. Welcome back, and we're still talking about franchises, and my guests this evening, Hugh uh, Malamdowitz, he's a partner at Spoon Fisher, as well as Grant Seaton-Smith um, of Grant Seaton-Smith Attorneys, as well as uh, 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 Julia also, she's from FASA. And perhaps if I can just bring um, a Grant, uh, uh, I've kept you quiet for some time, and I, and, I, and I apologize, but one of the things that strikes me is is this issue of, of, of training, because like when I just you know extract from, Judy's, from Trudy's story, it, it seems as if um, the, the there's there's sort of a a, com, a a sort of a business acumen that a franchisee would have to have, and and if they don't have, they'd have to be protected from the lack of having a business acumen. And I'm just wondering, and as part of the legislative scheme or protection, I- isn't there some responsibility on on potentially uh, um, uh, legislature or even is is that not embodied in the Consumer Protection Act to ensure that people are protected from themselves? Yeah, look, uh, you know, the Act does stipulate that a franchise agreement must deal with the issue of training. Mm. Uh, you know, one has to, uh, I, I would be 
circumspect as to whether that is the, that is the main cause for the failure of the franchise, to be honest. Mm, mm. You know, we deal with the uh, the failure end, I think, of, of franchisee-franchising relationships in many respects. Uh, and yes, training is an issue, but I, I wouldn't say that it's central uh, to, the, to the failure of many franchises. Mm. What would, what would you say? I mean, and perhaps uh, this is probably a fair question to ask you, to Julie, but in your experience, what did you say is the more common thread um, in, in, in the failures of, of franchises? I think there's an inherent conflict of interest between a franchisor and a franchisee mm. because they, they sell, a franchisor sells to a franchisee a business model. Uh, so this business model is, for argument's sake, uh, a fast food franchise model, of which there are many, uh, and they sell you a, uh, a concept that supposedly works with a projection in terms of what you can expect to make, uh, your fixed costs, your capex, etc., etc., etc. But the franchise itself has a very different business model to succeed. Their success, in many instances, and I'm, I am generalising to a certain extent, is for me as a franchisor to succeed. I need critical mass. I need to hit a certain number of franchisees before I start to make money. Mm. So I think very often franchisors fall into the trap of trying to uh, proliferate their model too quickly. Uh, Embodied in that, yes, there is the training issue, Mm -hmm. but we want to sell franchises because our target is when we hit 100, we start making money as a franchisor. Mm. Now that, that, as I say, there's an inherent conflict of interest between what the franchisor's goal is and the franchisee's goal. So in a sense, the franchisor's goal is number of franchisees, whereas the, fran- whereas the franchisee's goal is, I need to make my site profitable. Mm. And that's almost, in some instances, and again, I say I'm great generalizing, in some instances, it's secondary to the franchisor. So the franchisee's success is almost sometimes just left in the franchise's hands because we are so busy as the franchise are trying to scale up. Mm. Yeah, we, we're trying to scale up and we're trying to get our numbers up. And kind of when the pressure's off and we've hit the 100 and we're starting to make some money, we can then throw a little bit more of our own capital into training our franchisees, making sure that they are successful, etc., etc., etc. So let me bring in um, Lydia Ramadisa. Uh, Lydia, good evening to you, and thank you so much for, for talking to us this evening. Good evening, Michael. Thank you very much. I, I understand that uh, you've uh, bought into a franchise and it's going pretty well. Tell us about that. Yes, Michael. But at this moment, I'm with another director, Michael, so that you can clarify my story because I've been struggling to express my feelings. I don't know if it will be okay. Just this book now that the other director to give you a... a that, that's fine. Okay, it's Josie Jadim, it's just next to me. Just because I can't express my feelings, I told in the newspaper, my educational background is not so good, but <laughs> at this time, I just want to put things straight. All right, fair enough. Hi, Michael. Hi, Michael. Hello, hello uh, Josie. Uh, all right, uh, her story was she was working at the bakery when we had... Uh, engine garage right next to the bakery but we were also the owners of the bakery mm. and uh, she was a hard worker and we uh, saw potential uh, potential in her on being a manager and uh, uh, being a leader so mm. we took the cashier and uh, with that she worked her way up until the manager of the service station and uh, when we found the opportunity to buy a service station uh, they needed a, a BEE partner mm. We offered her the, the, the position as a BE partner, and uh, yeah, that's where she started it. And uh, originally, it was our other partner that uh, invested the money, which the business pays back. And, uh, everybody pays their own shares with the business money. Mm. And, uh, yeah, now she's the 50 shares, the 51% shareholder of the, 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 the garage that we bought. 
that is that is that is um, actually quite an awesome story. And and maybe Julie, if I can bring you um, in here, I mean, we, we 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 from the report that you guys have published, it seems as if these franchises are growing year on year. Um, is 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 that a good thing? Yes, it is. And 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 every year we we are surprised that there is growth given the the, the dire economic uh, situation. And although we see. We see a couple of trends that are worrying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, franchisees out there are not doing as well as they have been doing in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the, the more striking um, findings of the survey is that it, it now takes longer than a year to break even. So it will take um, within the first year, whereas a couple of years ago it would be six to eight months and, you know, break even. Trudy mentioned the fact that, you know, she wasn't earning. Um, yeah. And every business um, obviously takes time to, especially if it's a new one. You know, we always say that franchising is like getting that recipe for a chocolate cake. You've got all the ingredients, you've got the know-how, but you've got to actually get out there and bake it. So the, the fact that it takes longer for franchisees to break even um, is an indication that, that we are in an economic downturn. We are feeling the effects of it. Even though with franchising, you have that support. And I must say that um, you know, the, the franchisor does need to make money. Um, but if his franchisees are not making money, he won't make money either. So we're finding that a lot of our franchisors are consolidating um, because they're finding that it's better to have fewer franchisees that do well than too many that are not doing well because that will spell disaster. So, you know, the industry is growing. We're very thrilled that, um, you know, the contribution to GDP is, is increasing. The turnover, we believe that uh, franchising will always grow. It is something that um, is such a success formula across all areas. And I know that we've been talking about food in, in most cases because, you know, people always associate franchising with food. Mm. But there are so many other areas. We have 17 different franchise sectors. America's got over 50. Um, other countries have got you know, over 20. So we, we just have the potential to grow in so many areas, you know, in social franchising, in, in uh, services, in all sorts of areas. So it really is, is, the future is very bright for franchising. If we continue to consolidate and for franchisors and franchisees to work together. And, and and one of the, uh, I suppose, you know, it's, it, it indicates something of an improvement because it says that previously disadvantaged people uh, previously um, uh, used to have 17% of the market share. Now it's up to 27%. That's good because it's an improvement, but it's, it's bad as a reflection of, of, of our country. And and I'm also seeing that the, the ownership of women in franchises is, is not good either, sitting at something like 39%. What do you make of that? And, 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 and sort of are we expecting this upward trend to at some point equalize um, the playing field? Because it does, you know, it is, it is a big market. And, and to, to learn that just a year ago, only 17% of the industry of a 700 and 700 odd thousand, uh, 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 700 and something million, I beg your pardon, billion industry is only penetrated about 17% of, of, of black communities. It has grown by 10% in mm. the, since our last service. So it is growing, but you, you're absolutely right that the, the transformation is a key element to uh, the franchising future. We're working quite uh, closely with government um, agencies, with funding agencies, because funding is the major, major problem. Um, you know, uh, banks are not lending very easily. They, you know, they're asking between 40 and 60% um, down payments. So it is very challenging from that point of view. And we also don't have um, many black franchisors. Um, Trudy mentioned, you know, she started a new, a new food concept and, it, you know, she's toying with the idea that she could be a franchisor. And that is what we want to see. Um, you know, we'd, we'd like to see people who are working in their back, in their garages with a, with a concept that could be franchised. Mm. But funding is the, is the major problem here. 
Let, let's talk about that and, and, and you know, uh, and, and perhaps maybe let me take a break. But when we come back, let's talk about what do I need to, to do if, I'm a, if I want to be a franchisor? Because I think, because, you know, one of the ways we can, we can change what you've met, just mentioned uh, now, Julie, about, about black people not being uh, franchisors enough is to actually say, well, this is actually the making of a, of a franchise. This is how you take your concept and become a franchisor. We're back after this. The Law Report. With Michael Matwening Bell, Kaya FM 95.9. 19 minutes before 9 o'clock, and we continue our discussion talking about franchises. And I'm joined in studio by Hugh Malamdowitz. He's a partner at Spoon Fisher, as well as Grant Seaton Smith. Uh, he's an attorney. And, um, and on the line as well, Julia, uh, Julie Oso. She's uh, with FASA and she's with the communications department there. Uh, and, and I suppose, you know, with only about 18 odd minutes left, I'd like us to just maybe dedicate the remaining time to to sort of dealing step by step with how do i then become the franchise a franchise or how do i how do i establish a brand and and ensure that i don't get copied or somebody doesn't take my idea and run with it and and if i can start with you grant yes all right so so we've got a we've got a viable concept uh, that we now want to take to market and franchise uh, so a couple of the important Things are going to be to register your trademark. Uh, if there are patents involved, to register those patents, uh, to secure your trading name, so that it can't be copied. Mm-hmm. Uh, from there, so those are the, those are very foundational. So we want to secure those first. From there, there are certain legislative requirements that we need to meet in order to start to sell a franchise. Uh, and those are set by the Consumer Protection Act, uh, and that is to draft a franchise agreement that is compliant with the CPA, and the CPA dictates to us what needs to be in that franchise agreement. And then, uh, probably most importantly, is your disclosure document. Mm. Uh, so before I uh, procure or uh, we'll start to try and solicit uh, franchisees, I need to give you a disclosure document which really puts a spotlight on what it is that I'm selling to you. Mm. Uh, so in a sense, I'm selling a product to you, and that disclosure document is the spotlight that as a prospective franchisee, I can have a look at this, and we've, we've heard uh, Trudy and, and others who have uh, bought into franchises and they, they say, well, I don't really do the best due diligence, but in the same breath, uh, perhaps the franchise wasn't as didn't disclose properly to me. And I, I want to say that, you know, that is quite clear that a franchise... Uh, Grant, I'm afraid our line has, has deteriorated and, and I was quite interested um, to hear. Let's see if we can we can get you back on a, on a, on a better line. Um, uh, Julie, perhaps the same question, and, 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 and I think that, you know, so, so Grant has sort of set it out nicely for us in terms of, you know, you, you worrying about issues of trademark patents and, and, and trading name, but what are some of the things that sort of make you um, a, 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 or places you at that point where you can now be a franchisor? I think you have to have a lot of courage because with all those legalities, you would need, you know, you'd really need to know what you're going into, that you are going to be responsible for a lot of people. Mm. And, you know, Trudy showed us the one side of the coin. Um, you know, the other side of the coin is, you know, you've sold a few franchises, the, the system grows. You've, I mean, you know, we know from Father's um, perspective that when there are failures, and sometimes you get fads, in other words, you'll get the frozen yogurt fad that came out. Mm. And all of a sudden, it's the latest thing, and everybody wants to buy a franchise. Sure, um, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. You know exactly what I'm mm. saying. It becomes something that everybody climbs on the bandwagon. Mm. So that franchisor sits there and goes, wow, this is fantastic. But he hasn't stopped to think, how am I going to support all these franchisees? Mm. You know, I, the Trudy who says, I didn't... I didn't get enough attention. Mm. That comes with, so, so you know, the, the legal side is one side, and you might have, the, you know, all, all your ducks in a row there, but it is the physical and just being able to manage the business and be responsible. And that is why we find that there aren't that many. I mean, we have a, a, you know, a total of 500-odd um, franchise systems 
We have 45,000 franchisees out there. Um, so those people who own the franchise uh, systems, uh, you know, it is a very tough job. And uh, it, it's, it takes a lot of time. That's why we find that we are not getting enough franchise uh, concepts. I mean, you know, we could be franchising all sorts of areas. At the moment, you know, we, we're talking to government. We're saying social franchising. You take health services in the rural areas. If you had to put in place a franchise system of healthcare where there is a retired nurse in a rural area, we can have that franchise of that village and she looks after the health needs of that community. But it's done with, on a franchising principle. You need public-private partnership there. You need government to come in to put money in and you need franchise systems to be put in place. That's, it's done all over the world. And, you know, we're knocking on Cyril Ramaphosa, who himself is a franchisee, on his door and saying, listen to us because we have solutions for you that mm. can broaden. So, you know, again, the franchise door is somebody who, you know, has this wonderful system. But there are also ways of, of creating smaller franchises, the man in the van. You know, you think of the Soweto and how many backyard uh, guys are fixing cars. Mm. If one could get them together to become a franchise. Behind a brand and have a brand and have a... That's it. And yeah. have also the guarantee. And, and I think that's a problem that we, when we always think franchising, we always think about it in terms of these big brands and, and we discount and miss the possibility that it could also it be, could be that small little business where they all just carry the same the, name. And The problem with the small little business, and you know, we've had in, uh, instances where you have food franchises who say, they can put out a little cart, you know, mm. a little um, street spending cart and, and distribute my and, and take the brand to the people that way. Mm. In principle, in theory, it works. But for the franchisor who has to, and I can just name, for instance, the, the hot dog franchises. Some of them have little kiosks or little uh, trailers and little carts. Yes. The amount of um, support that you have to give all those little guys and what you're getting in return in terms of royalty or management fee is so small because you can't obviously charge them a very high fee. I mean, maybe maybe born out of, you know, what you're saying, and if I could just bring Hugh back in again, you know, sometimes we, we, we're talking about franchising, but, but are there no other schemes through which people can organize and, 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 and sort of have a hybrid system of a franchise, whether it's a licensing agreement or whatever type of an agreement? What are some of the options that are available out there for people? Absolutely. Whilst we were talking earlier on, the my mind was just drifting off to a licensing scheme where uh, there's no real business system, but you're able to um, scale up by uh, a whole bunch of people getting together and that, that car uh, um, uh, repair shop, I think, is a great idea. Mm. Um, and to... For a group of people to get together, um, they're able to uh, they, they they increase their purchasing ability to purchase spares to run a uh, run a proper store, um, and uh, there there is a possibility of of developing a a, a brand um, that you know, I have to obviously register it, and mm. uh, um, the the group would work together under that particular brand, all being licensed to 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 uh, operate. Um, and uh, there may or may not be the requirement to pay a, a royalty. Um, mm. There could be various other schemes um, uh, where uh, um, discounts are offered to the to the uh, um, licensees, um, and uh, uh, income is derived from other sources than than royalties. And I think the the the, the opportunities there are also. Uh, um, pretty vast. Mm. I have a question on Twitter from Rebo uh, Nilifuto uh, and she asked, I recently found out that if you are buying an existing franchise, a seller can cook the books, meaning not disclose a true financial position. How do franchisees guard against this? And perhaps uh, Grant, if I can bring you in there, please. Yeah. Um, again, I go back to the Consumer Protection Act. Mm -hmm. It stipulates expressly that a franchisor is required to provide a financial projection. What can I expect to make? But there's a, there's a rider to that or a proviso to that. The Act says that the franchisor must also not only provide the figures, but they must stipulate the assumptions that they're relied upon mm. in order to produce those figures. And I think that is where 
the accountability comes. So it can't be a thumbsuck figure. It has to, as a franchise, I have to say to you, well, I've given you a set of figures and this is based on our average store. Alternatively, and this is what we advise our franchise or clients, is give your prospective franchisee a high road, a middle road, and a low road based on your high-performing franchisees, your average-performing franchisees, and your lower-performing franchisees. So that a prospective franchisee, when they have a look at your concept, you've been honest mm. about who's performing, who's average, and in fact, there are some of us, 20, let's use a number, 20% of our, our students or our franchisees, that aren't making money. But sorry to interrupt you, Grant. And then yes, the question yes. is, what, 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 what's available to you when the person is not honest, when the numbers are the high ground and the middle ground and the low ground is completely off? What, 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 what is your recourse, if at all? Yeah, well, this is where, unfortunately, we have to learn it. And we've had a number of cases where we've dealt with this very issue, mm. where franchises have come to us and we've said, well, what was sold to you? What? product where you uh, invite it to purchase. Um, and that is one of the key areas that we look at, first and foremost. So what, what, what figures were given to you and what are the assumptions relied upon? Because as Trudy was saying earlier, I did a due diligence as best as I could. Mm. But, you know, you, you're buying a product. You're not buying a buying concern necessarily. Yeah. And you rely very much so on the factors or to open the box to you. So once again, Grant, the, the, the line is deteriorating. If I can just come back to you, Hugh, um, it sort of in the early parts of the show, you, talk, you talked about a, a cooling off period and, and we didn't quite explore the point. If I could just uh, understand, how long is that cool, cooling off period and how does it work? Okay, so the, the cooling off period is for a period of seven business days from mm-hmm. the date that the agreement is signed. And basically it gives the uh, franchisee an opportunity to terminate the agreement um, and any funds that have been uh, um, uh, given. So normally what, what a franchisee has to do is pay an upfront fee to the franchisor. Often that's on signature of the agreement. Uh, Trudy, I think, said hers was about 600,000 rand. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cooling off period um, uh, is basically a without prejudice period. So you can, even if you've paid that amount over, you're entitled to recoup uh, those amounts. So mm. the, the the agreement would be terminated, would be regarded as uh, uh, null and void, not having been entered into. You'd be uh, restored to the position that you're in prior to signing the agreement. All funds would be returned, and uh, you'd go on your, each p- uh, party would go on their merry way. And, and this would this apply in respect of uh, both an existing franchise, or uh, as well as a new franchise, or, or to one. Uh, it, it applies with any per- acquisition mm. of a franchise. So when Trudy enters into that uh, franchise agreement, having purchased a uh, um, an existing franchise, she should be given a cooling off period as well. And and and, and Julie, uh, and, and and I imagine this is going to be my lo- my last questions. Both gentlemen have spoken about a disclosure document. Um, uh, uh, what what goes into this disclosure document to ensure that the franchisee is protected? Um, again, as, as was mentioned, it's, it's a very important document because it's, it, it shows you exactly the company that you're buying into. So it's the financials. Yes. And the most important aspect, as far as I, we're concerned, is that in that disclosure document, they have to, the franchisor has to give you a list of all the franchisees with their contact numbers. They also have to tell you the stores that they've closed down and why. And though that list of existing franchisees is the key to any franchisee buying into a system because you are able to pick up the phone or to even go into all these franchise branches, speak to the the owner and say to them, how are you enjoying your franchise? Are you making money? What Mm -hmm. problems do you have? And and, and I suppose that is, you know, it it could work well if it's it's a big franchise and, uh, um, and, 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 and the people are honest. But, you know, I can imagine... Uh, uh, buying into a franchise where there's like four or five franchisees and, and Look, would cool. you then you know, be, be able to access their financials for example? You should be, I mean uh, you know again legally you, you know if you're buying into it and they are a bona fide and they're going according to a consumer protection act they have to have all that information but you know they always say that in a franchise you know sometimes there is a concept that is new that is exciting mm. and you're getting in on the ground floor 
um, you know, that can also be a great thing. I mean, if you think of food franchises on every corner, mm. you sometimes think twice, saying, well, how much money am I going to make with my competition? There's so many within the, within the brand, whereas a new concept often is a great thing. But, you know, the risk is higher because you, you don't have all those franchisees and their testimonies to be able to say, you know, the one big question is you have to say to an existing franchisee, if you've had your time again, would you buy this franchise again? Yeah. And we have, as far as our statistics uh, and our survey has just shown that, in fact, um, they, the franchisees were, had a 72% franchisees were more likely to buy or purchase another franchise. So the satisfaction level, if it's the right franchise, and again, you know, there are always franchises that, you know, it's just bad luck and just you have a problem with. But by and large, franchisees seem to be very happy with their franchises. Let me squeeze in one more question uh, and bring you in, Hugh. Um, and, and I'm just wondering, just, just, just sort of leading on to the, to the question that I'd asked Julie, um, I can understand a franchisor saying, well, these are my financials. But then there'd be financials of the individual franchisees, and and they have nothing to do with you trying to buy into the concept. Would you be? Would you have a legal basis, uh, or would you have to negotiate for that to be able to access everybody's financials? Because I would find more assurance from somebody's financials as opposed to their enthusiasm. Um, I don't think you're entitled to the financials of the individual franchisees, but you'd be able to. Um, the franchisor should be aware of what the turnover is, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, uh, I think the idea of the high road, the low road, and the the middle road um, franchisee is is a great idea. A great idea. Um, the franchisor would know because he's getting the royalties. There would have to be disclosure of, of turnover. He'd also know pretty much what the expenses are. So the franchisor should know um, how the franchisees are are, are operating. And uh, it's the franchisor's obligation to give the franchisee as uh, much of an indication mm. as possible. And, and that uh, indication has to be based on empirical evidence. If there's fraud, there's fraud. And that's something that uh, we, we do look into when we, if we get involved in litigation. What was represented to the, mm. to the franchisee by the franchisor and, and, and uh, what was it based on? And uh, if it's based on a thumb suck, then uh, the, the franchisor may well have, uh, may well have problems. I'm afraid we we haven't uh, run out of time, and uh, uh, Grant Seaton Smith, uh, the line was not was not the best, but but from the bit that we could hear, um, it, it was indeed enlightening. And thank you so much for for joining us, Grant. All right, and um, and and uh, to you, Julie, as well. Thank you so much for joining us, and uh, and I think there's so much more um, um, uh, to to learn from you. Perhaps just give us an indication of where can somebody access that report, because I think the stats are 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 quite interesting, Julie. Um, certainly, they can go to the, the FASA website, which is www.fasa.co.za. Mm-hmm. You click on survey, and then the, the, the two surveys are on the website. All right. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, just to keep in touch, you know, on that website, we have seminars. Uh, we're going to be launching with government uh, funding agencies in the new year. We'll be going around the country to present um funding options so we really you know that whole idea of increase the, the, the sort of uh, uh, level of percentage of PDI franchise sure, sure. and franchising is a, is a main goal for us well thank you so much for joining us and, and to you Hugh thank you. thank you very much for, for coming coming all the way to the studio thanks Michael thanks Evan and, and also uh, Trudy uh, McKay-Sigogwata thank you so much for, for coming into the studio and sharing your story with us uh, I wish you the best of luck with your new uh, establishment uh, it's, uh, it's called Have Wings it's a gourmet grilled chicken wings restaurant so look out for that so perhaps you might be the next big franchisor for me Michael Montoning Bill it's been a very good evening I look forward to being with you again next week good night stay tuned stay tuned, stay tuned to Kaya FM for more